it, uh, in the past year or two that I've been like, okay, let's quit, quit judging. And I think that judgment, I, I thought it would help for some reason, like going, hey, you really should be doing this. But you know, who likes hearing that? Like no one likes hearing what they should be doing, especially from someone who's your daughter or a family member, a spouse, like that. Um, so it hasn't been until recently until I've really been more into the mindful practices that I've been like, geez, we're all going through something. And if we look at it as a kind of take the judgment out of it and, you know, we say approach it like a scientist. So, hmm, that's interesting. I just ate a whole bag of chips. What could have happened? You know, what what was going on in that situation? It's just to say, hey, you know, that's really tough. You know, wonder what happened. You know, is there something going on that day that may have kind of made you more anxious? You know, so you're really helping her realize that she's not a bad person. And when she's doing that, she's just going through some stuff. And dealing with the feelings is what's going to help. That's Jen Arnold, and I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers, welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast. Today, my guest is Jen Arnold, one of the many amazing people that I'm so excited to bring to you today. Jen's awesome. She and I totally clicked. We talked and talked and talked. She had me on her show. We're just totally like in the same vein from a, a wellness standpoint. And I love that. So I was very excited to bring her to you today. Jen is the host of a show called Redesigning Wellness where she interviews experts on the topic of organizational health. So it's health in an organization, whether it's a company or a nonprofit or some other group. She's on a mission to change the common approach to employee health and wellness. You know what I mean? It's like we've got a biggest loser competition or, you know, there's like a, a walking month where people walk three days and then no one really remembers anything after that or you get a gym reimbursement or something. She's trying to get beyond those standard tools that, frankly, aren't really making a difference. To support that mission, she facilitates employee training that addresses leadership, resilience, mindfulness. It's, it's the, the inside stuff. Like You can't just lose weight. You can't just be healthier if you're still dealing with things inside. And of course, she wouldn't be here if she didn't have her own story of dealing with things inside. And that's what makes her so amazing at what she does with Redesigning Wellness. So for 16 years prior to starting her own business, Jen led an organizational health and wellness effort and advised employers on how to start them. Most recently, she's worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina for over eight years, leading a team of health promotion professionals. Jen's a TEDx speaker who uses stories, activities, and humor. You'll love it. Like She's very funny. We laugh a ton in this episode. But she uses all that to make a point and keep the audience engaged and listening. Again, she's tapping into what's inside of you. Right, she's trying to pull on your values to get you engaged, and that's kind of the the point with all of this. And she gets it herself because she's lived through it. And of course, we all live through things, and I know you guys must be as well. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be listening to this show. So, if you want some help with that, if you want some more inspiration, I've mentioned it before. I will mention it again. But you got to check out the big goal exercise. It's free, right? There's no cost. There's no obligation. You're not doing this for me. You're doing this for you. 
check it out at doadaybook.com slash the exercise. It's a few key questions to get you rolling on that journey. And if you want more, there's plenty more you can get into, but you got to at least start. So go to doadaybook.com slash the exercise and give it a shot. So let's jump into the episode and we'll go from there. Jen Arnold, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. I really appreciate it. So I've really latched on to what you've been doing with redesigning wellness and this theme that you talk about with mindful eating. So, you know, I know from a tool standpoint, I was definitely interested on it and having you on the show, but then I know you've got a backstory too, and there's some similarity between ours. So, you know, first of all, just tell people kind of what you do and, and what you're all about, and then let's dig into how you even got there in the first place. Yeah. So um, as you said, my company is Redesigning Wellness, and I help companies really put their employees at the center of health and wellness. And one of the ways I do it is through mindful eating, but really just trying to inspire employees from within. So how can they find that expert within themselves instead of it being very expert driven? Um, and I got into that by way of just being a registered dietitian and falling into the worksite wellness field about 15 years ago. And so that's what I do today. I, I love that idea of find the expert within yourself. Like that's so, uh, so empowering. And I think probably a lot of people are just like, oh, I can't do that. Or I'm not an expert, but we all can be. You just have to yep. need some tools and you need to allow for it, right? allow for it, allow people to find their space. And, you know, as a dietitian, that's not how we're trained. We are trained to be the expert. So it's really taken me, you know, throughout the journey of being a dietitian and seeing people really struggle with weight loss and emotions and, you know, everything that comes with um, our eating and food decisions. And so, yeah, it's taken me a while to unlearn how not to be the expert and how to let people find the expert within themselves. Cause it is there. It just takes a while to find it and re-engage with it. Well, that's really, so you're facilitating them being that expert for themselves ultimately. Yep. Our, our bodies are amazing things. If we actually listen to our own bodies. Yeah. Well said. So, um, you know, my, my weight loss story starts with the opposite where, you know, I, I was overweight and I needed to lose weight. That's not your backstory. So what's, how did you get into this space? Like you weren't born a, a dietitian. So where, where does it all, <laughs> what's the journey that brought you down to helping people take control of this major aspect? I mean, especially in the U S but major aspect of their health and wellness. Yes. You know, when, when you and I talked before, when you were on my podcast, you know, we talked, we had similarities in our, when our parents got divorced. So my parents got divorced when I was six years old and you know, that's kind of probably our earliest memories or at least mine my early memories, um, aside from learning, you know, remembering them fighting and things like that. But after the divorce, um, I lived with my mom the majority of the time and I had two brothers, so a younger brother and an older brother. And one thing that just kind of came clear to me is that my mom was a binge eater. And so there would be periods of time to where We'd be eating, doing the air quotes, quote unquote, healthy. And so we'd be eating green beans and raw peppers and she was cooking dinner and we'd eat these great, you know, like nutritious fruits and vegetables. And that was great. You know, so that was just one piece of it. Um, and then uh, sometimes I'd come home from school and between both of my brothers who used to eat like crazy, you know, they're teenage boys. And my mom, I'd come home like really excited about something I was going to eat. And then all of a sudden there's nothing there. 
So you're going in, you know, you're like thinking about it. I guess I was very food focused. I would get excited about <laughs> coming home to eat something and then all of a sudden it's gone. And so I, you know, the food scarcity mindset uh, was definitely something I grew up with, which I can get into later. But oftentimes in my house, it was they were, you know, eating really healthy, according to my mom's, whatever eating pattern she was in, or we'd be celebrating something, anything, right? So it could be, I still remember a few vivid memories of, I guess we were more in the restrictive phase and I was running around the apartment complex and I was drinking water. And I remember it really from like this gallon jug of water. No one seemed concerned I was doing this at the point. I have no idea. But I guess that I just started getting interested in it. Um, and I've kind of skipped around a little bit. Um, but in in my childhood, along with the divorce, I think um, everyone, especially younger girls, are sensitive about their bodies. Yeah. I just happen, I happen to have a very muscular body composition to where... Um, you know, I remember being weighed in, in school. I guess it was more part of the whatever the PE test was. And I remember them saying my weight and it was it was like a large number. And they used to call it out and it made me kind of embarrassed. Oh, and I know it was, it was terrible. Yeah. Like, why do why you do this to kids? And it had to be like an elementary school. And I was weighing, I can't remember what it was, 120 comes to mind. And so it was a heavier weight. So that was really embarrassing for me. Um I remember in seventh grade, again, going with a muscular theme, um, I have very large muscular calves. And I remember that people would point them out and it was embarrassing. So I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, probably the hottest place on the planet, aside from, you know, the, the swamps of Florida, you know, and, and Southern Mississippi, et cetera. But I wore jeans every day to school. Oh, my because gosh. I did not want anyone to point out my calves. Yeah. And so I remember, you know, um, I didn't really get too far into, thank God, disordered eating, but I'd still remember that my friends would say, oh, you know, the calories of everything, or, you know, I'd be eating lettuce. That's what I'd be eating while they're eating Doritos. So um, there's definitely like a restrictive patterns. And so, you know, my mom definitely influenced that. There was no way for it not to, um, it, as well as some of I never really had the binge eating tendencies, but just a food scarcity is what I grew up with. Yeah. Can, um, can I just ask you something about yes. when you were coming home with that craving and the food was gone, was it gone because other people had consumed it or because your mother had gone on like a, a clean out the bad stuff tear and get rid of it or because you guys didn't have it because of, you know, lack of resources? Like So all of the above, all of those different factors. <laughs> different times. Absolutely. Different times, right? So you, there was times where, no, we absolutely did not have enough money. We were like getting by and it was like grilled cheese again. Great. Um, but we always had something. So I never say, you know, I never yeah. would, would starve, but it would it'd be one or two things. My mom would be on a binge and eat everything. So it was just gone. Like we'd find wrappers underneath um, the couch, you know, or by the bed or, you know, so there's like a bag of chips gone. Um so, but, but mainly it would be eaten, eaten. It wouldn't often be thrown away. It would be more of a binge, um, consumption. Okay. So, so it was, it was eaten before you got a chance to. Yeah. Like, especially you think Halloween candy, like for kids, you know, you're like saving that candy. And to me that that's part of the, the food scarcity mindset. Like I used to save things like squirrel it away so no one could get it. Right. And then, you know, every day a little bit's gone, a little bit gone. And all of a sudden you get home and it's like, where's my candy? And it's 
my mom ate it all. It's uh, possible that I was in your house. That, <laughs> that's very possible. Oh, yes. I'm um, suddenly feeling bad for my siblings, like for the times when they thought they had something and it was gone. Yeah. What well, is my brothers would eat it too sometimes. Yeah. But as I say, mainly, mainly it was my mom, you know, it was my mom. And so it is just definitely so the food scarcity is something I've had to work off. I've had to just say there is food is abundant, you know, like even to this day, sharing a dessert with my husband gives me anxiety and it sounds so stupid. Like even mm. just saying, I was like, Oh God, that's kind of embarrassing to say I'm working on it. But just I eat slowly. I like to savor my food. Like I like to save it because I have a fear of it being gone. And so if he eats fast and he's eating the dessert, I'm sitting there and I like, can't even enjoy it. Um, so right. you know, your food baggage definitely goes with you in childhood. Um, I'm very lucky in the fact that I didn't have a full blown eating disorder, but I definitely say it was on the restrictive side to where I was counting calories and I was, you know, I've always been in, into fitness, but exercising like laps around and chugging water, um, those type things uh, just seem to, to, to find their way into my life. Yeah, that's I mean, it's definitely body image, body weight kind of focus. Um, you, you may not have had a disorder, but there were issues. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's one thing is having a daughter now. I'm very mindful uh, about how we talk about bodies and how we talk about, you know, being our strongest self, I'm not even talking about healthy necessarily, but just, just being careful with the attention right. we put on bodies and especially women's bodies. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about the high school wrestling team and yeah. you know, that's like, I totally agree on the women's side. And then there's a subset of boys that, the focus, I mean, these are kids who are, you know, throwing up multiple times during the day on weigh-in day mm -hmm. and it's all they can think about. And, and a lot of them do end up with serious eating disorders or at least body image disorders. And, um, you know, being a, a few decades out or a couple of decades out from high school, it's interesting to see, you know, going back to reunions, which one of, of the boys have turned into overweight men. And mm -hmm. it's almost, uh, almost completely the like a hundred percent of the uh the wrestling team is obese yeah i mean you can't keep weight cycling and expect your metabolism not to just react to it right i mean it just has so many consequences to it yeah um you know if it's so emotional one thing i just really didn't connect with my mother was that she was eating her pain and i think a lot of us do it it's not it's very it's just very common right yeah. i mean well, that's my story Right, right. Yeah. For a lot of different reasons. And my mom, I didn't grow up in a household that was emotionally available. So mm. when the divorce happened, um, you know, my mom's, you know, didn't have the really took it just deeply, deeply personal. Um, still working on it, you know, like my parents, I'm 40 years old, and <laughs> she, they've been divorced since I was six. So she's still trying to let that go. Someone mm -hmm. really holds on to it. And then my dad wasn't very emotionally available. Um, which ended up being just kind of, you know, in, in unstable household growing up. Yeah. Um, so I think I kind of went the opposite of just kind of more control, right? More like, how can I make sure that I'm eating the healthy foods and I'm exercising and I'm, I'm controlling that piece of it. Um, but yeah, my, I mean, looking back, it just you know, kind of makes my heart break that she was 
she she was suffering. Yeah. And it came out binge eating. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't look back with that kind of empathy. So that's a really beautiful thing to be able to do. And obviously the work that you do probably puts you in a better position to understand that than a lot of people might. But Brian, it didn't, it didn't. So like I have just now started being empathetic towards my mother and it sounds terrible. I think we're probably, maybe we're not, I think we're kind of the meanest to the people we're closest to. And my mom and I are just very Mm. close, but very different. Um, So it's, it's, it's taken me this time just not to say kind of like, God, snap out of it or let it go. Or why is it so hard for you? Um, and I think in the past I've been very judgmental. I've been just like, kind of let's just stop. <laughs> like, like it's just easy to stop. And so it's really just been in the past, it, uh, in the past year or two that I've been like, okay, let's quit, quit judging my mom. Yeah. Um, and I think that judgment, I thought for some reason, I thought it would help for some reason, like going, Hey, you really should be doing this. But you know, who likes hearing that? Like no one likes hearing what they should be doing, especially from someone who's your daughter or a family member, a spouse like that. Um, So it hasn't been until recently until I've really been more into the mindful practices that I've been like, geez, we're all going through something. And if we look at it as a kind of take the judgment out of it and, you know, we say approach it like a scientist. So, hmm, that's interesting. I just ate a whole bag of chips. What could have happened? You know, what what was going on in that situation? Um, and take the judgment out. And so that's what I've been doing a lot with her lately is just to say, hey, you know, that's really tough. You know, I wonder what happened. You know, was there something going on that day that may have kind of made you more anxious? You know, so just really helping her realize that she's not a bad person. And when she's doing that, she's just going through some stuff. Yeah. And dealing with the feelings is what's going to help. Um, but we don't do that well in our family. So. <laughs> no, and I mean, you know, n- not to single your family out because I don't, I, I think that's pretty broad base. Like we, we don't just eat to fuel our bodies. Um, we eat, you know, we, food is, is emotion in this country for almost everybody. It's, it's how we celebrate. You know, there is no celebration without food. It's listen to little kids talking about their birthday or some special event. All they talk about is like the kind of cake they're going to have, or will there be cupcakes or ice cream? Or, you, you know, you want to celebrate some, oh, let's go get ice cream. Like it's always happiness has food attached and pain has food attached. Even down to like, you know, watching the Golden Girls growing up, that cheesecake when they were going through some emotional things. But it's true, Love isn't it? The Golden Girls. Yeah. They're great. Um and, and so is cheesecake when you, you know, need to commiserate with your girlfriends at night. You know, like it's it's such it's such an ingrained part of society. Um so it, I don't think it's just to come down on on your family per se, but for some of us, yeah, it goes a lot further than just being part of our social fabric. And it actually becomes this really ingrained, um, it, it, it's like it takes the place of introspection and therapy for most people. Right, right. Just stuff, stuffing your feelings down. And I still remember my mom still like, we got to get her out of this celebration time. Some brothers and I, I always joke, it's a celebration. It's a Friday night. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Wednesday. It's always a celebration. Yeah. But I remember one time when we were little, like my brothers and I, she took us on this adventure. And we, I think we went to like Memphis, Tennessee, which was quite a big road trip from Mobile. 
But I remember getting to the hotel room and she's like, let's celebrate. And we were having like a, you know, a crusty baguette with cheese and like some lunch meat. And it's still to that day. I remember being in the hotel. I remember how good that tasted. And it was a celebration. And um, I still to this day have this affinity for like a nice crusty bread with some cheese in it. Mm. <laughs> you know, just that memory I'm associated with a good time. A yeah. We were doing something different. It was fun. Um, and it's, it's just amazing how vivid memories, right? They're, they're tied to the food. I remember, you know, just remember all this stuff and the food is usually part of the memory. Absolutely. And, and it takes you back or when you relive that kind of experience, then you want that food again. Like it's like food and music. You know, we all have that song that reminds us of like that really painful time or that really happy time, <laughs> or, you know, you can never listen to, to this song or that song again. I, I remember, um, when we had someone helping when my wife was sick, helping take care of my son. And um, he was really young, so he he talked, but it wasn't like, you know, he just had a normal full vocabulary. And he, mm -hmm. some song came on, and he said the woman's name, and he's like, this makes her sad because of her boyfriend breaking up with her. And it was like such a sentence we wouldn't have expected him to say. And I was like, first of all, like, why does my two-year-old know that? And <laughs> second of all, yeah. like, but it's so, so I'm sure like she can never listen to that song again. You know, it's like you get that smell of certain foods and it takes you right back to a specific good or bad experience. Food is, is really ingrained in our emotional states. Yes. Yeah. And you're so right about songs too. <laughs> Go hand in hand. Are you, you're thinking through that soundtrack right now, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. So, so my four-year-old gets all the, the lyrics completely wrong and he's like singing a different song. I don't think he's as insightful as your, your kid when he was two. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I, I'm the one getting the lyrics wrong, and my wife and Semis are the two looking at me like, wait, you think it's what? So I, I turn to them for the lyrics. Um, all right, so we're, to <laughs> we're totally off track, but that's that's the fun of a non-structured interview. Um, all right, so I, you know, I certainly get that being the background behind it. So how does that take you from, like, do you do you have this desire then to understand more or does it just kind of happen by serendipity? Like what's the path coming from, you know, this uh, muscularly calfed teenager in jeans to, <laughs> to I, I have no issue with it. Like I was a ski racer. I had muscular calves too. It's, it's not a big deal, but I hear you. Um, you should have come up north. We didn't mind it as much, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'd get right in. Right? Yeah. So how did you, how did you get down, you know, into into this world that you're in now? Like, where does it lead? How, how do you connect those dots? Yeah, you know, I'd have to say that as a, as a high school student, I was very studious, very type A, very achiever. I was, you know, like in my family, when my brothers were going opposite ways, kind of, you know, my bro older brother got labeled as the screw up and my little brother was just like, whatever, like coasting through life. And so I took on the role of the uh, kind of type A studious one. I was going to be rewarded for my hard work. And for some reason, I worked really hard, did really good, but I didn't really have any path in mind. I was like, you know, like I still think to this day, like at 18, how do you know what you're supposed to be for the rest of your life? Well, um, if you do, you're wrong. <laughs> you, yeah, right. You, pro you, might, you might know, but you're probably wrong. Right, right. Um, so I started out at our college in town, which was a university, um, and just took some classes. Um, I ended, ended up, this is kind of, 
random and not really part of the story, but I got a really bad car accident um, when I was 19, oh. fell asleep at the wheel after a big night out and um, really injured my left hand like severely. So it's still, um, it impacts me to this day, oh, wow. but so I ended up after that, I don't, I don't know what happened, but I just said, okay, I need to go do something else. I need to go to a different university. And so visited Auburn university, which is where I ended up transferring and graduating from. But even when I was there, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I took a, took a bunch of courses. I took a nutrition, basic nutrition course and loved it. I was like, this is my jam. This is great. Like, you know, I have peak friends in there and they're like, this is so boring. And I just loved every minute of it. So I declared my um, degree in my degree is nutrition and food sciences. Um, all the while trying to get a minor in psychology because psychology has always fascinated me. Um, but for some reason, it, it wasn't a minor at the time. So I just went forward in nutrition. So just took that um I'm trying not to make this really boring, uh, but well, I would just say like the foresight from you though, because those those two really need to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And I always said if I could go back to school, I'd probably go back for psychology because yeah. it's just behavior or the human mind fascinating to me. Um, yeah, they go hand in hand, but yet they don't have a minor. Like it doesn't make sense, but yeah. um, you know, and um, knew that nutrition, like in a clinical setting, wasn't for me. I knew I didn't want to be in food service. And so kind of this general wellness, this general education kind of fell out, private practice, you know, just trying to think of what I wanted to do. Um, it ended up, um, I'm not going to skip through my first job, but ended up being in, in the corporate wellness world at a hospital. And so as part of my role, being a dietitian, they wanted me to see employees one-on-one. -on -one. And of course, the main thing that came up was weight loss and how I could help people lose weight. And so I used to see people and it was my common approach to say, okay, here are the things you need to do and here's a meal plan. And so some people would follow it and be successful for a short while and then come back or not come back, right? <laughs> the people who you know, either just weren't ready for it or my approach wasn't right for them, they wouldn't come back. But oftentimes we'd have some really deep conversations in that, in that room together that resulted in crying and just deep emotions coming out. And so I got to know like a great network of people there, um, tried my best to what, do what I thought was helping them, but really was now that I look at it, it was pretty ineffective. Um, but ended up just kind of going about my path to other corporate uh, wellness jobs and doing the same old thing, Brian, like just telling people like, hey, here's a meal plan. You just yeah. need to kind of, you know, dial down your calories and exercise a little bit more because honestly, that's what we were taught. Like in, calories in, teach, calories out. Right. They teach you like a calculation for 30, you know here's your basal metabolic rate and here's your activity and you just subtract off a few hundred, 500 calories. And it, like this easy, simple mathematic formula that you're applying to a very complex human. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it just did that for a very long time. And if it and, doesn't work, they're doing it wrong. Right, it's them, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the what you're actually, you know, prescribing to them or, you know, the advice you're giving, it's not me, God forbid, I'm a dietitian. I know what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, and then they feel bad about themselves. And so it just, it culminated, um, for me, um, you know, I left my corporate job for just various reasons, which this podcast isn't about. Um, but it wasn't until I had a conversation 
with someone on my podcast about mindful eating. And, you know, I'd heard in my career about intuitive eating, but it was kind of tangential to what like I do. Like I was like, yeah, it's there, but I don't mm. really, you know, what, it just kind of left it. <laughs> when did the, when was this? It was about a year and a half ago. I was going to say, so if it's your podcast, it's got to be in the past couple of years then. Yeah, yeah, a year and a half ago. And I talked to her and it just made sense. Like, it was like, you know, I felt like, where has this been all my life? Um, all my dietetics career, you know, honestly, I felt a little shammed. I felt like, like I went through my education. I have a master's in nutrition. Like I have six years of education all around nutrition, but yet this mindful eating approach where you're connecting not just the physical, but your head, your heart, everything is holistic. Um, and it, I just felt like everything clicked at once. And then also a lot of shame, to be honest. I felt very, very ashamed of some of the stuff I did, you know, giving out the eat less, exercise more approach. You know, in a past job, uh, I implemented an outcomes-based approach based on weight. And so I just people, I just, I felt terrible, to be honest. Like I felt good at it, like feeling like, oh my God, this is, this is it. This is the missing link. This is what the tools I've been missing. And on the flip side, I was like, oh my God, I've been doing it all wrong. And I've been making people feel bad. And that's not me at what, the core. What did you do with those feelings though? Because that, I mean, we, we all go through that. We have an awakening or we get exposed to new knowledge that is so clearly better mm -hmm. that it debunks everything we believed before. And we can sit there and, you know, as you're saying, like feel bad, beat ourselves up, whatever words we, we need to use to describe it. But you can get stuck in this like, oh my God, what was, what have I been doing? And how many lives have, you know, how many lives have I not been helping or the opposite of helping regardless of my intention? How did you break from that? How did you break free? Well, you know, it was a lot of, you know, I say has has raised kind of Catholic, but, you know, we have the Catholic guilt. And so I, on a few podcast interviews, I kind of like, and, you know, talk to people about it. And and then finally, I was like, okay, I'm sick of hearing myself talk about this. Like, get a, you know, get over yourself, Jen. <laughs> like, I, Tough. I, you know, I'm, I'm done feeling guilty. And so now it's just time to act. So, you know, between teaching the mind fleeting classes and really, um, helping people in the way I know how to now that I feel like is so much more impactful, but also two other things is, you know, being a message to employers that it's really important to take the focus off of weight and, and focus on how do you help people with his underlying behaviors. Um, but also talking to other health promotion professionals, um, we tend to get stuck and we tend to, you know, like I was stuck, give people that same advice that's so simple for a very complex problem. And so I really try to educate them to say, yeah. I get it. I was there with you. It's, there's a better way. Um, so I just presented to a group of health promotion professionals about, you know, how we need to take the focus off of weight and focus on the person. It's not about their weight. Um, so I think I, I, the, the practices I do now, just you can't, it's not beneficial for me to beat myself up anymore. I've done it enough. Yeah. And so now it's just moving forward with the new knowledge I have in a better yeah. way. When you know what I love is the the old approach that you were using, it really speaks to one part of the population, and that's the overweight, whether they're full on obese or, you know, just chubby or whatever words you know, we want to use to describe them. It's people who weigh too much. 
it's not, and, and, and a lot of the corporate stuff, the weight loss challenges and all that, you know, they're, they're all over the place. Lots of companies do them. It's all about losing weight. But as you experience yourself, it's not just people who are overweight who have issues with their weight, whose health is being impacted by what they weigh, what they're eating, and most importantly, how they feel about all that. Whereas the mindful approach, actually, it doesn't matter whether you're too high, too low, or wherever you are, you're not feeling right about it. Being mindful in how you approach your weight and your eating and your movement, you can get through all these things. Right. Like this has, I mean, it really is, we don't focus on weight. Like weight is not even a factor. Um, it's an, it's a, um, weight neutral approach, non-diet, but you know, we're so fixated on people's weights and uh, I'll give you just a, a couple quick stories is that, you know, I am now, uh, I had a baby. So my baby's almost a year old and I went to the doctor because I, as you have to, I have two young kids that keep giving me their germs and I kept getting sick. So I was like on the third cold. I already had bronchitis. This time it turned out to be strep, but I'm in the office, doctor's office. And the, the, the nurse is like, you've lost weight. You're, you're lower than you used to be. And okay. Granted last time the I whole discussion, there, I thought, right? Yes. I was pregnant. So I was like, okay, well, we'll take that with a grain of salt. I've, I've lost a child inside of me. Yeah. <laughs> right. But she kept fixating on the weight and I was like, just fix my throat. Like I am, and turned out I had strep throat. So I'm miserable, but my, I hadn't weighed myself in ages, but just to give you a picture of like in her mind, yay, good job. You've lost weight. In my mind, like I'm not at a lower weight because I'm really at my healthiest. I keep getting sick. I'm not exercising like I was, and I've got a lot of stress in my life right yeah. now. And so you're looking at me from a number going, she's really healthy because she's lost this weight, but I'm not, I'm really not the healthiest person I've been, you know, yeah. I've actually been healthier, um, physically and mentally when I was actually probably up five pounds heavier. Um, and one more story, if you'll indulge me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was giving that presentation to the health and wellness professionals about weight and how I told them that same story. And uh, one of, one of, uh, you know, the, the audience members told a story about how, she, people kept coming to her saying, oh, you look great. You've lost weight. And Grianna, she's a very thin person. So losing weight for her, it really just almost looks like gone. But instead of people getting worried about her, they're like, you look fantastic. Well, it turns out yeah. she has um, ulcer, ulcerative colitis. You see, I can't really say colitis. It yeah. really like literally has problems going to the bathroom like several times a day, like really, really sick. Yeah, and right? she's not absorbing her nutrients, so losing weight is actually a dangerous thing. It's very dangerous. Yeah. And so people are sitting there telling her how good she looks, and she's, you know, and she's sitting there like, you know, going going to the bathroom ten times a day. She's not healthy. She's not physically well, but people are so fixated on weight that they think, good job, looking good. Yeah, weight so, and appearance. God, it's just so, such a small picture yeah. of, of what's really going on, but that's what we fixate on. Yeah. I, my, my wife gets so annoyed when people mention that she looks good. It's like when she was in the throes of her illness, when, when she's starting her recovery, she, it was uh, a family member's 40th birthday. And so we went to the party for a little while. And, you know, she like worked up the energy, put on makeup, got dressed up and, and went, you know, we didn't stay long. And, it took her a couple of weeks, really, to recover mm -hmm. from being there. But everyone's like, you said she was sick, but she looks good. It's like, well, 
<laughs> she looked like thin. Right? She had makeup on. She was all done. I'm like, well, you know, when people get dolled up, yes, they tend to look good. And, you know, she looked fit. It's like, well, because she's lost 20 pounds from last time you saw her because she was bedridden and nearly died. So if you think that's looking good, it's like we go on this outward appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like when you're a kid and people are calling out the number for your weight and then there's judgment for that. And actually, it's like you're probably super healthy and more physically fit than, you know, probably most of the people that were there. But the number was bigger. And so well, she, you say she's fit, but that's a big number. Right. It's like we focus on completely the wrong things and and focus to the point of fixation. Like you're saying, this health professional who all she can talk about is that you lost weight. It's like, I, um, can we get back to the reason why I'm here? <laughs> yeah. Can you just diagnose yeah. me and give me some medicine so I can feel better? But yeah, and and like like for those people that, that you guys were at the party, go come see my wife. You know, tomorrow when she's completely exhausted from this, and you'll see how healthy she is. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, it, it, we're, we're fixated and I won't even go into the stories about like when you're pregnant and that the people need to comment on bodies. And oh. so I think, I think it's just in general, I think uh, asking people, like if they tend to, like, if you're noticing maybe that they've lost weight or just say, Hey, you seem really happy. What, you know, Hey, what's going on? Like, just take it out of the physical, um, and just say, you know, if you notice their demeanors change or they seem happier, focus on the the feelings and how they're, you know, kind of radiating, if you will. Yeah. yeah focusing on the weight, you just never know the backstory. Or even you just allowing for them to, you know, be like, it seems like, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? You seem like you're doing well. Like, offer right. a positive thing, but let them tell you how they're feeling. Because it could be like, well, actually, you know, I, I've I've dropped a bunch of weight because... I had a tapeworm or, you know, like right. it, it could be any number of things, but don't, don't just force it upon them that, and, and I totally agree with you. Don't, there's no need to address what they weigh. Mm-hmm. And, and I think actually that's hard for people because societally, societally, that's the expectation. When someone looks thinner, you're supposed to comment on it. When someone's had a haircut, you're supposed to comment on it unless <laughs> you're their husband, in which case you're not supposed to notice it and you're supposed to get in <laughs> trouble later. That's a different so my issue. never notices. It's like, how can you not notice? Um, but yeah, I mean, it'd be I was talking to someone the other day, and you're know, like, even like people who are really tall, they hear, oh, you're really tall. No yeah. kidding. Well, it's like me and my big calves, right? You've got really muscular calves. Yes, I do. I got nothing. Yes, I do. Thank you. Just keep that observation in your head. <laughs> it's not awkward or anything to call that out. No, yeah. not at all. Hmm. So I have no idea what we were talking about before, but um, it's sorry, all been good fun. No, it's fun. <laughs> no, but it's it's that we're talking about the mindful. I, I have some sense of it. Um, we're talking about mindful eating, and and I mean I think it's it's one component of a mindful approach to not just living your life, but specifically in this context, how you live your life for the sake of your wellness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And mindful eating, the the great thing about it is once you introduce some concepts around eating and mindfulness, it can spill over into your life otherwise, right? You know, so someone who went through a workshop, who's a dear friend of mine, um, you know, she went through the Weight Watchers plan and she'd been very successful off of that. Um, But it tended to be a very points-driven system. She was eating when she wasn't hungry. She was eating because she just wanted to eat her points. But another facet of it was physical activity. And, you know, Brian, you and I are runners. So she's one of my runner friends. And um, 
she would oftentimes feel the need to go run just because she had to run, get miles in, calories <laughs> burned. Mm. Um, and so after this class, she was kind of like, I kind of do this. I do a little restriction with eating too. It's kind of that, um, you know, I need to go out and burn four, you know, run four miles so I can eat this or, you know, counteract the points. And so it, it really gave her a little freedom with running as well. So it wasn't such a chore and she could actually enjoy it and maybe run a, a mile less just because she could. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I, I mean, I think that's actually a really key part of it is people exercise to deal with their weight, to manage their weight. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a punishment. It's a, is a must do because it's of it's penance. It's penance. Yeah. And, and it's something you're forced into because yeah, either you've screwed up or just like, as I get older, I'm going to put on weight. So if I don't work out, it's all going to fall apart. No one does it, not no one, but many people don't do it just out of enjoyment. And that was a big shift for me is I happen to be healthier because I exercise, but I actually just like exercising. Like I, right before we recorded, I went for a quick run because it was a nice day out and I haven't had the opportunity to do that later lately. So I just did because I knew it would make me happy. It has nothing to do with how much I ate today or how much I will eat today or yesterday or tomorrow or whatever. But most people don't, they don't live that way. And it just reinforces just like the food, these emotional uh, connections or, and punishment. Like it, it, it's the wrong kind of emotions. You owe something instead of just doing it because you value it. Right. And, and unlike you and I, you know, I'm glad your injury is better, by the way. Um, but yeah. you, know, you remember unlike too much about me, Jen. This is it's good. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I was going to ask you and so I'm glad you brought it up. But, um, you know, so many people are not like us that they don't enjoy physical activity because often it's just what you said. It's a chore. It's penance. It's it's thing now or they're doing things they don't enjoy. Um, well, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Right. I got to go be a runner. No, you don't. You really don't. So, you know, a lot of what I teach is joyful movement, right? So how do you get out and just move your body and don't worry about, you know, the calories or how long you go, but just, it feels good to move your body. Like, I think everyone can agree that sitting all day does not feel good and walking a little bit, even if it's just anything you can tolerate or manage is going to make you feel a little bit better. For sure. And so it's taking that non-judgment out of exercise and just trying to find out what is joyful for you. And I think, you know, one thing you and I talked about a lot on my podcast is self-compassion. And, and a lot of mindful mindfulness is about caring for yourself. And how do you take care of yourself and be compassionate um, when we're human? Um, and I always tell people in that I'm teaching is, you wouldn't go yell at your kid for not, you know, being able to ride a bike the first time, but yet we're beating ourselves up because we're flawed and we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And so treat yourself as you would anyone else when they're trying and learning and exploring and be compassionate with yourself. Because if you, every, every time we make mistakes, which we're going to make mistakes because we're human learning from them not judging ourselves and again looking at it like we're a scientist and go that's interesting hmm i wonder what's behind that why didn't i exercise today or why didn't i go get some movement in today interesting something to explore and look into um but not going gosh i'm such a loser because i didn't get out and get exercise in yeah maybe it was for a good reason or as you look through it you may learn you know i could have done this differently or that but i understand why i did it and i'm okay with that then Right. 
Right. And, you know, and I think, you know, me being ill on and off and usually being um, a very active person, I was trying out this fitness challenge with a client I'm working with and I was tracking my minutes of activity and it absolutely made me feel horrible because I was like, I'm usually a really active person, but because of this, you know, fill in the blank bronchitis, strep yeah. throat, whatever, germs from kids, I haven't been as active. And I was like, oh, this is looking a little rough. Um, but I had to reel myself in and have some compassion for myself to go, okay, Jen, you're sick. You cannot expect yourself to be uh, at this level um, that you were prior. And I got over it, yeah. but I had to do some, some, some work on myself to say, yeah, I need to be a little nicer to myself because I am sick. Hello. Yeah. Do you, I'm glad you mentioned that movement tracking, fitness trackers, those kinds of things. Cause that's, you know, that's like the, I don't know, not just du jour. Cause it's been a few days, a few years now, um, that people have been recommending them. And, uh, you know, obviously Apple with the Apple watch, they're pushing the whole fitness side of it. And, Fitbits and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, where do you stand on those kinds of things? Cause the argument is always, you know, it keeps it present and in, in front of you and it has you thinking about movement. So you're more mindful about it. I've been through several of them. I, I was an early adopter. I had the original Nike fuel band right when it came out and now I have nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure I notice any different. My, my issue isn't moving too little and I need something to make me move more. I kind of the opposite. I need, and for a while I actually had a recovery tracker because mm. my, my problem is I need to move less. Right. Um, and respect that like, you know what, I actually need to rest today. Yeah. But, but I see so many people, you know, I'm in airports a lot and there's a ton of Fitbits on wrists and Apple watches. And I'm, I'm just like, are they even paying attention? You know, they're standing in line at whatever fast food joint and shoving, whatever in their face and they're not, you know, they're, they're not making the time for movement. And, and I don't really think walking through the terminal should count. Um, does it even matter? You know, people are, are getting device up and thinking that that somehow does the trick. What's, what's the real path to being mindful about this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. It's disconnecting from the electronics. I mean, for some people it's helpful. I think you know, I was, I was really into a Fitbit for a while. We had a, when I was back at my job, we had got a Fitbit. I was really into it. And then it kind of just felt like, okay, I'll go on a, like a training for some race. And I was like 10 miles. And then the Fitbit's going, well, let's see if you can do 20,000 steps. And I was like, no, yeah, there's no context. Tired. <laughs> I'm tired. Let, let me be. And then mine broke and it wouldn't sink. And then I was just done with it. Um, I, I think, you know, there actually has been some research, research, I think it was done by Duke University that said tracking, um, tracking things such as movement uh, and food makes us less happy because it's a grind, right? It takes the joy out of movement. You're sitting there and this is, you know, I got to get 10,000 steps, got to get 10,000 steps. But are we really connecting with our body and saying, how am I feeling? You know, like... <laughs> Should I do this because the, the, the Fitbit's telling me to get 10,000 steps or am I really tired and need to rest? Or, you know, you're, you're not really checking with your body. You're checking in with the electronics. Um, I, 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 it, it can be helpful for some people. I don't, I, I don't really think they're necessary or needed. Um, and I think typically the research has shown that it's great when there's a program going on or if there's like yeah. – you're battling your, your, your friend, but as soon as that goes away, the adoption, you know, the, the attrition, people stop using it. Um, so in the place of a work site, some people like to do them sometimes. Um, but it's, it, it, it's kind of the opposite of mindfulness, right? <laughs> yeah. 
if, if you're not taking a minute to go, hmm, I walked 10,000 steps today. How did that, how did I feel today? Did I feel better? Did I feel worse? You know, if we're not checking in with ourselves like that, which most people aren't, they're just looking at a number, then it can definitely be a little mindless. So is that, is that word checking in? Is that the key to mindfulness? Not just at the end of the day, but almost in real time, as much as you can get it. It's that presence in whatever you're doing. It is the pause, the power of the pause. That's mindfulness in, in a very, very small nutshell is, is stopping and checking in with yourself in whatever context, if you're about to eat, if you are about to say something you're going to regret, if you, you know, you're about to lash out at somebody, if you're like just checking a number, you're checking your email mindlessly, it is stopping, pausing, maybe just for 30 seconds in processing. You know, I always say take a deep breath or two. That is the best form of recovery. And then just seeing if you can check in with your body, like especially if it's around eating, like doing a little scan of your body and say, am I actually hungry? What's going on in my stomach? You know, sometimes we end up just rushing, rushing, rushing to think through things throughout the day and we don't take that moment to pause. So we're eating according to schedule or or eating because there's food in front of us, but we're not going, am I even really hungry in the first place? Mm. Um, you know, so I got 10,000 steps. So what does that even mean? How's my body feeling? And so I'd say it, mindfulness is creating space between just what's going on in, in your, your body and checking in and figuring out why, and it, you know, kind of checking in with your body and figuring out what's going on. I love that. So that's a, a small little taste of what it's about. And I know you do so much more than just give people that what minute and a half tidbit on what mindfulness is. So what, what are ways that people can get connected with you and, and start to work with you? Yeah. So they could just go to my website at redesigningwellness.com and there's a contact form and I typically train organizations, but if you are an individual looking um, for help, I'm happy to just still contact me and I can connect you with um, Am I Hungry, uh, which is Mindful Eatings and Training. That's who I work with. And so either way, whoever is interested in more information on mindful eating, just go to redesigningwellness.com, put a contact form in, and I will connect you either with me or somebody else. That's great. And if people are interested in that for their workplace, talk to your HR team and have them reach out. On behalf of yeah, the company, absolutely. I just did a, um, actually just did a, a workshop for an organization that has Weight Watchers in. So they have Weight Watchers, and then um, I did my mindful eating program, and it was it was great. Like, say, so there's places for both op, op, you know, both options. But um, people had some, I uh, really eye opening experiences, which is why I do what I do. Yeah, it's I'm great. sure. I'm sure. I would love uh, for my company before the next, we call it the Biggest Loser Challenge. <laughs> before right. yeah. I don't participate everyone looks to me because I'm like I'm vegan and I'm you know run and so they're all like you're doing that right I'm like well first of all I'm not going to lose anything and second so like what's the point and second of all no because I don't really like that kind of stuff um oh, so yeah. I'm hoping I can push them through to something that would mean more and invariably all the winners from last year or the year before we've done it for two years they look like they did before the contest well that's what ah that would ha that's what happens my stepfather he does it all the time like he 
uh, that's just a whole other podcast. But yeah, he'll go, he did this biggest loser thing through his gym. He won, you know, lost 75 pounds and he is heavier now than he was before, which is what happens with these type of rapid weight loss programs. You, you yeah. wait cycle and it's very, very dangerous to your um, metabolism. And then also obviously you feel like crap if you just gained all the weight back, which is inevitable. Yeah. So not good all around. Yep. So a better path through redesigning wellness, people should reach out or talk to their HR team about reaching out because it doesn't have to be this cycle of everyone just, you know, don't eat for a few days till the weigh in and then you win, which is there are a couple of guys at, in the company who that's what they do is like, see who starves himself longer because he's the one who's going to win. That sounds great. Like, Where do I sign up for that? That's clearly the sustainable path. And like for what end, you know, yeah. what are they even winning? That's a, you know, that's worth it. So they got the weight back. That prize has already been spent or whatever it is. And then they're back in the same situation. It's just like yeah. a fruitless effort. And they both lost. <laughs> so it wasn't even like they didn't get anything to show for it. They weren't even the top 10. But anyway. Yeah. It's just sometimes one, I'll let you be done in just a second. But one, one quick yeah. thing is like, try, like for organizations is like find out some of those similar traits in the biggest loser contest and how can they morph into something a little bit more positive, right? So there are certain things they like the competition, the, maybe it's the end result. How can you morph that into something with similar elements into something that would be better for them from a health perspective? That's, uh, that's great. And they shouldn't be afraid to ask for help that, you know, get the help in designing something, pulling out the pieces that worked and replacing the ones that didn't and creating something more effective. And most importantly, actually life-changing that will stick. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Jen, thank you so much for being on. And today is a new day. Go out and do it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Jen's awesome. I'm so glad I got to have her on the show. And you should definitely go to redesigningwellness.com and check out what she's doing. I just think it's such an important message because there are some really um, basic ways that people are getting the weight loss and health journey wrong and not rewarding the ultimate right behavior. They're rewarding the short-term, quick fix, not stick with you kind of behavior. And Jen's focused on changing that. And that's what we all need. You know, we need to get to actually changing our lives, not just winning a contest and going back to the way we were. And, um, you know, hearing her backstory, I think, helps you understand why she's so dedicated to that. And I think value the message that she's trying to put out there even more. So definitely head over to redefiningwellness.com. And you should follow Jen on social media. And uh, you can get links to all that at Redefining Wellness. But while you're at it, you should also follow me on social media. Follow at Brian Falchuk. I will keep putting out content, updates, news, all that kind of stuff about Do A Day, the Do A Day podcast, uh, my work outside of Do A Day, all of it. And if this interests you, it's a great way just to stay up on everything. And you can also subscribe to the show. Make sure you get every episode that comes out, all the updates, all that stuff. So whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you want to subscribe, um, subscribe to the show. And you can get to all that if you go to doadaybook.com and just click on the podcast link. Thank you all so much for joining me again. It means the world to me. I hope that this was a valuable episode. And remember, today is a new day. Go out and do it, everyone. Thanks.